On this episode, peace, worship, and promises. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the titles, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. This is episode 8, and today we'll be going over lesson 12 and 13 of the Creation, Corruption, and Destruction study. Last episode, we read in chapters 6 and 7 of Genesis, and we talked about Noah building the ark and also the coming of the flood. We also discussed how God compares Jesus' coming to the flood and how it'll come suddenly and we need to make sure that we're ready before our last day comes and we don't get another chance. So if you happen to miss that episode, you might want to go back and listen. Today, we're going to talk about the end of their time on the boat and when they get off. We'll be reading in Genesis 8 and 9. So let's go ahead and begin. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. The foundations of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested on the seventh month and the seventeenth day of the month on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the top of the mountains were seen. Okay, so we're going to stop right there just for a moment. It's been almost 200 days whenever God, it says, remembers Noah and all of the people and animals that are living on the boat. And I just want to talk for a moment about that word remembered because obviously God did not forget them. He knew they were there. He's just bringing to remembrance, basically calling it up, saying, okay, this is the time. Listen to Psalm 29:10. It says, "The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king forever." So God was on his throne whenever the flood was going on. He was there and he was watching and he knew everything that was going on. All this means is that he decided, "Okay, now is the time for me to send the wind and start to dry these flood waters up." So let's continue reading. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Then he sent out a raven which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters were receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, and she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited another seven days, and again he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And no one knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return to him again any more. 
So first, Noah sent a raven, but the ravens can fly for a long period of time without really having to have a place to land. And they also are able to survive on things that are dead. They don't need new life for their food. And a dove does. A dove needs things to be more green. So Noah sent the dove out, and at first it couldn't find a place to land, but the second time it came back with an olive branch in its mouth. And this let Noah know that God was replenishing the earth. He had sent a time of destruction, but now is a time for growth and new life. This is the reason that the dove is often a symbol of peace, because God is showing Noah that now there's peace after the storm. Now the time of destruction is over. God's no longer destroying things. He's now rebuilding things. He's restoring life, and that gives great peace. Also, the olive branch is something that's used as a symbol of peace. You hear people say, extending an olive branch. Well, that means someone's trying to offer peace, just like the dove was showing peace to Noah. If someone offers an olive branch to us, then they are trying to offer us peace. They're telling us, hey, we want to get along again. We don't want things to be destructive anymore. We want our relationship to be peaceful. We know from this that peace is very important to God. He wants us to feel at peace. He wants us to know that there is an end to the hard times. Listen to Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Even when it doesn't make sense for us to feel at peace, God can give us peace because we know that He is in charge. We know that He is on His throne. We know that He cares. And we know that there will be an end to our suffering. God has a purpose for everything under heaven. And so we have to trust Him and know that if we're dealing with something difficult, that He's there and He knows and He cares. The entire suffering may be here on this earth. It may be soon. It may be later. Or it may be in heaven. But we do know that there will be an entire suffering. I've found that when I ask God for things, comfort, peace, understanding, whenever things are difficult, that He's always faithful to give those things to me. He shows me just one thing that gives me a little bit of hope or gives me a little bit of strength to make it through. And so if you have a storm raging in your life today, I just want you to know that you can ask God for His peace. Even if your circumstances don't change, He can help you feel at peace by knowing that He's there and that He is on His throne and He is able to change your circumstances in His time and in His way. Also, God wants us to live at peace with others. He wants us to extend an olive branch whenever that's needed. Look at Romans 12:18. It says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So we're supposed to do everything that we can in order to make things peaceful with others. We don't have any control of other people, but we do have control over ourselves. It's on us to make sure that we do every single thing that we can in order to live at peace with others. If we do everything that we can, then that's all that can be asked of us. But if we use other people as an excuse and say, well, they're not going to accept my forgiveness anyway, or they're not going to try, or they're not going to apologize anyway, then we're not doing our part. 
But if we do, and then they don't accept it, or they don't apologize, or they don't change their ways, then we're relieved of responsibility because we've done everything we can. God expects His people to do everything they can to be at peace with others. So if there's someone that you need to offer an olive branch to today, make a point to do that soon. It'll bring you peace too, once you know that the relationship's been reconciled, or at least that you've done everything you can. So let's move on and read in verse 13 of chapter 8 in Genesis. And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, the birds and the cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with them. And every animal and every creeping thing and every bird and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imaginations of his heart is evil from its youth. Nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So Noah continued to monitor the receding waters. And once they got off of the ark, it had been about a year since they entered. Noah must have been so thankful to get off of that boat. But he also had to have been so thankful that he was saved whenever he knows about all the destruction that was around him. And so immediately, his very first reaction was to offer sacrifice to the Lord, showing his gratitude and his love to God. We might not have been the only people saved out of the whole earth, but we have been saved by the blood of Jesus. And so we need to be continuously thankful to the Lord for all the things that He's done for us and for saving our souls. We should continually worship and praise Him for the ability to be in heaven with Him one day, even if we happen to be in a time of suffering here. Now, let's move on to chapter 9. It says, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, and on everything that moves on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as I gave you the green herbs. So we're going to stop right there because I want you to notice that it says just as God had previously given them the green herbs to eat, He's now giving them everything that has the breath of life in it, every moving thing. It says that the animals will now dread them. They will be afraid of the people because the people are now going to be able to hunt them for food. In the beginning in chapter 1, verses 29 and 30, it tells us that God gave the plants to be food for the people and the animals. So before the flood, everyone was only eating plants and seeds and nuts. They were not eating meat before the flood. Only afterwards, now at this moment, is God saying, now you can eat meat. 
We do know that as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, that death entered the world and God killed an animal to provide clothes for them. And we also know that Abel offered one of the animals of his flock. So animals were being killed and sacrificed as offerings to God before the flood. But we have to believe from what we've read here that the people were not eating them. These were sacrifices to God, showing their obedience and their worship for Him. And they very well used them for clothes and things like that, but they were not being eaten until after the flood. And the animals had no reason to fear the people because the only ones that were being killed were the animals that were being raised by the people. Just as people do now, raise their cattle and other animals for food. Same concept. These animals are not afraid of the people. But the animals that are being hunted for food are afraid of the people. And that's what he's saying is that now they're all going to be afraid. This must have made it much easier for all of the animals to live peacefully together on the ark because they were not eating each other. Every animal and every person ate plants at this time. So they were able to live peacefully together. They were able to be on the ark with Noah and his family. And since they didn't fear them, they were peaceful with the people also. Okay, so let's move on in verse 4. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of a man. From the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply it. So even though the people are allowed to eat meat, they are not to eat the blood of the animal. Blood is precious to God because it carries life throughout the whole body. When Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples... He told them to drink the wine as a symbol of his blood that would soon be shed for them. And by doing this, they're taking his life into their own body and accepting him as their sacrifice. It's a symbol of Jesus's life that they're taking into themselves. Blood is a symbol of life. This is why we don't take the lifeblood of an animal into our bodies because we're not supposed to be taking an animal's life into ourselves. Not only is the blood of an animal precious to God, but the blood of a person is extremely precious to God. And so he goes on and tells us that people are made in his image and that any person or animal that kills a human being will be held responsible. In Exodus 21:14, it says, But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. So God's explaining that if you kill someone, then you too must die. And then down further in chapter 21, verse 29, it says, If an ox tended to thrust with its horn in times past, and it has been made known to his owner, and he has not kept it confined, so that it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner shall also be put to death. So this is saying that even the ox that kills a person is held responsible for that person's life. And if the owner knew that he had a tendency to do so, things and he allowed this ox to stay alive, then he's doing that at the risk of his own life. This is how precious people's lives are to God. This is how precious the blood of a person is to the Lord. 
Okay, so let's continue reading in Genesis 9, verse 8. It says, Then God spoke to Noah and said to his sons with him, As for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off from the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of my covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the clouds, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all the flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is in the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So God is telling Noah, I'm never going to do this again. But he makes sure that it's not just words. He lets Noah know that I'm going to put this rainbow in the clouds after it rains every time. So that the people and the animals will be able to look up and they will be able to see this rainbow and remember the promise that I made that I'm never going to destroy the earth again by a flood like this. And that God himself will look on it and know the same thing. Now one thing I want to touch on first before we get to the promise is this had to be a worldwide flood. There's a lot of people that try to say maybe it was just localized because it was it was local to the area that Noah knew, more like the world as he knew it. If that were the case, then God would have broken his promise many times because there have been localized floods that kill people ever since then. So God wasn't promising that the floodwaters would never kill anyone. What he was promising is that he would never use them to cover the whole earth and kill every living thing on it. So we know that this had to be a worldwide flood. There are actually other references to a worldwide flood that are not found in the Bible. Other historical pieces that have been found that people have written about a worldwide flood. And not only did they say that it happened, but all of those references also stated that it happened because God or the gods were angry with the people. And so this is not just something that's found in the Bible. The people long ago knew that this happened and they knew why. But thankfully, God says he's never going to do that again. And we can believe that what he tells us is true because he continues to put the rainbow up there to remind us. So the rainbow is considered a sign of promise. When we see it, we're always supposed to think of God's promises and how he keeps them. And so let me tell you one other place in the Bible that there's also a rainbow in Revelation 4, 1, it says, And these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Do you think that's a coincidence that there's a rainbow over the throne in heaven? 
saying that Jesus is our promise, that our promise that God gave us is that we will get to have eternal life one day, that Jesus' death promises us that He's paid the price and we're able to go to heaven one day and not be separated from Him. I don't think that's a coincidence. God always keeps His promises. And He's so gracious to continuously remind us, hey, I'm keeping my promise. The floodwaters are gone. I'm done with the rain. I just want you to see I'm keeping my promise. It's not going to rain anymore. When we go to heaven and we see that rainbow over the throne and we can see, yeah, God kept his promise. I'm here. He's wonderful like that because he knows that we need visible confirmation and things to bring us hope and comfort. And he's always gracious to do that for us. So the greatest lesson of the flood is that God did save Noah from it and that he gave a promise that he's never, ever going to do this again. And so even though it was hard and it was horrible and it was a long year, out of it came something great for Noah. There's new life on the earth. It's not filled with evil anymore. He and his sons can start new and fresh and God loves him and God saved him. And now God's given him a promise that he knows he can trust because he knows he can trust the Lord. And so I want us all just to remember that God keeps his promises and things may look hard for us at some points in our lives, but there's always an end to the storm. Rather, it's here on this earth or eventually one day in heaven. But we know if we love him, we will always see an end to the storm that we may be feeling. He gives us that promise, definitely in heaven, if not here on this earth. I want to leave you with a couple of verses that remind us that God does keep His promises. We know these things logically, but it's like, tell me again, because right now I'm getting so discouraged and I just need to hear, nope, if God said it, then it'll happen and I just need to be patient. And so this is in Numbers 23, 19. And it said, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? So if God has said something, then he will do it. We can always trust that if he told us something in his word that it will happen, then we know that it will. He is incapable of lying. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commands. He is faithful to keep His promise. He's not that kind of person that says something and then changes his mind. If He tells you He's going to do something, then He's faithful. You can trust that it will happen. 2 Corinthians 1, 20 says, For all the promises of God in Him are yes And in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. All the promises of God that are in Jesus are yes. All of God's promises are fulfilled through Jesus. Again, we may not have all that we want on this earth, but because we have Jesus, we have everything that we need. We have the ultimate promise, and we can rest assured in that. Titus 1, 1 and 2 says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, According to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who can't lie, promised before time began. If God promised us eternal life, he can't lie. Therefore, it will happen. We will have it. Last one. Hebrews 6, 17 and 18 
says, Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. We are heirs of the promise. We inherit the promise of salvation through Jesus. We are the heirs of that. And it says he confirmed it by oath because it's impossible for him to lie. So we may not have hope of a rainbow here on this earth, you know, in the storm of our life. Some people die in difficult situations. It's just the way it is. But that's not the end. We definitely have the promise of eternal life, of salvation, of Jesus, of seeing that rainbow in heaven one day and having that confirmation that God kept his promise. We have that. So if you're going through a hard time today, if you're in a situation where you're going through a storm in your life, just know that God is on his throne. He sees you. He's watching. He has complete ability to send the winds and dry up the land and bring you out into a a new life with new possibilities and all the evil taken away. But even if that doesn't end up happening to us here on this earth, we know that it will happen for us in heaven. He will keep his promise of salvation to us. And so if we're going through a storm here, we know that there is an end, whether it be on this earth or in heaven. But guess what? In heaven, it's eternal. So once that comes, there will be no more suffering. There will be no storms. We always have that hope. And God always keeps his promises. So when you look on the rainbow, yes, think to yourself, hey, God promised that he's never going to send a worldwide flood to kill everybody. That's wonderful. But also remind yourself just that God keeps his promises. And the ultimate promise of us being heirs with Jesus in heaven is always there. Last verse. Listen to this. Romans 8, 16, and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. We have that promise that we will be joint heirs with Christ, and that will be eternal. So I hope that's given you hope today. Next week, we're going to talk about an incident that happens after they get off the boat. So make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss that episode. Feel free to email me if you have any questions or thoughts. My email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. L-I-V-E-T-H-R-U-J-E-S-U-S. Thanks and have a good day.